Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JustBaseball and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JustBaseball. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JustBaseball when you sign up. Disclaimer, BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget... If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JustBaseball and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Just baseball's awards show. We're going to go through the MLB awards finalists. We're going to pick one. Unfortunately, a lot of them feel chalky, so that's only going to take a little bit. We've got some headlines off the top, and then Peter brought a whole bunch of niche awards. First three-man pod of the offseason. Jack, Peter, Aram, Just Baseball show on Friday, November 10th. Peter, come on, man. Do the thing you always do. We are brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Use promo code JustBaseball when you sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Download the BetMGM sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older. And terms and conditions apply. I'm very excited to discuss the headlines off the top because there's a couple of general managers operating in completely different directions, but both things that they said were incredibly hilarious. One pissed me the fuck off, though. Interesting. I wonder which one. Yeah, Yeah, I I wonder wonder. which one. I'm wearing my murderer's row hat the last time the Yankees were good back in 1927. Before we get into that, 
quick thought, Aram. I don't know if you've seen it, but all the free agent power rankings that outlets are putting out right now, you notice who keeps on climbing to the two spot or the three spot? Yoshinobu Yamamoto. He is shooting up these like power rankings of free agents. And we've gone from $110 million contract predictions to, I, I saw one that was north of $200 million across seven years. I mean, were you were you the first mover on him? Were you the second mover? It, it's crazy. Like, this is the darling of MLB free agency, it seems. Well, it, it was amazing. I think, you know, the aspect of the piece that we put out on just baseball, which was pretty, pretty cool, was that I don't think anybody had the information that we had on him. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that changed certain things, but I did have people reach out and say, like, oh, is it OK if I, like, cite this uh, for our free agent piece or like this or that? So. I think when we were able to explain why he has five pitches and I can compare like the splitter to Alex Cobb and the the sweeper to Dre Jameson and and Tanner Bybee and the fastball release height to Luis Castillo, like you can understand how uh, people would start to get excited about that because it's really hard to get information from the NPB. It's really hard to get any data whatsoever unless you're a front office member. Um, so yeah, it's been cool to see just the hype continue to build and build and build and build. Uh, ironically, right before we hopped on here, I just did my whole voiceover for a video that we're going to be putting out on our YouTube, breaking down Yoshinobu Yamamoto's entire arsenal, uh, but be about like eight, 10 minutes. It's going to kind of be our foray into this short form YouTube content. So look out for that. Uh, if you're not subscribed to our YouTube, please do, because uh, I'm excited to start to build that. I know you guys are excited about it too, uh, but yeah, he, he should be because ultimately who else are you that excited about in terms of the stuff? that isn't 25 years old. Most of them are 30. You know, most of them are 28, 29. You can give this guy seven, eight years, nine years and feel pretty decent about it. Yeah. I got an issue. He's short five times. <laughs> How's he going to make it? I saw that. I saw them talking about that. What the fuck? Who's <laughs> them? Who was talking about it? He's Scott just Boris. But Ken Rosenthal had a nice little jab in the athletic. Um, I As think a short it was yesterday. person myself, <laughs> he said he said something along the lines that he, he specified who Yamamoto was rep by, which I think was like WME or, or something like that. Yeah, and he said if if Yamamoto was was repped by Boris, we'd be hearing a lot of things about why short pitchers are better and 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 any of those. He just said it was funny how like all of a sudden that's a concern to him, and then he pointed out several pitchers that were his client. That are yeah. either shorter or around the same age who are very good. <laughs> it was just was like it shows you like, and I get it, it's an agent's job, but I, I love I love Ken Rosenthal. Like it wasn't personal, it wasn't rude. It was just like, hey, if you're gonna play this game, like you know, here's the receipts. And uh yeah, that's why that's why we love Ken. He's always always doing a great job. Yep. Yeah, Boris, did you see the other quote that he came out with that he wants to move the World Series to a neutral site? I mean, what a dumbass idea. What are we talking about? That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Dumbest shit I've ever I've ever heard. You want home field advantage. That's like the point. Game seven at home for playing better. It should not it's be also at a neutral seven site. Games. Seven this games at a neutral Bowl. site is nuts. Nuts. This isn't the Super Bowl where it's one game and you can understand if both yeah. teams go 13 and four or whatever, and then you move them for one game at a neutral site where a bunch of different fans can come in. Not for the Major League Baseball World Series. Scott, you're not God. He's yeah. acting like he's in control of it's, everything. So 
here's what he does at the GM meetings annually. Um, there was there were some photos of his Morris Corp backdrop tweeted out at the GM meetings. It was like, hey, he's a, he's arrived for the state of the Scott Boris Union. He always <laughs> has 10 to 15 of the highest ticket free agents every single year. But if you don't know, if you aren't familiar with Scott Boris's game, his M.O. is dad jokes. He figures out puns when it comes to every single free agent. That's underselling it, too, man. Yeah, underselling so it. He's these crazy. are the two <laughs> that have really made the rounds as we record right now. On Jung-Hoo Lee, the really talented Korean outfielder that's coming over, Boris said, quote, he is going to bring K-pop to MLB. Oh. And then about Cody Bellinger, Boris said, quote. Oh, this one hurt me. You ready? Yeah. Chicago got the comfort of a full belly. They're going to have to loosen their belts to keep him. Oh, come on, man. Like this is, this right, is that some second weird... one. That second one wasn't bad. <laughs> the first one was terrible. The first one was terrible. Arm, I know you're big into like rhyme schemes and UK drill. Is this UK drill? UK drill. <laughs> you love the UK drill. <laughs> I'm not even a big UK drill guy. I'm into rhyme schemes. I do like, I do like old school hip hop, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if Boris is, uh, is an MC. I don't, I don't know if he's got that in his future, but I will say I, I admire his attempt to like be human, I guess. I, I don't yeah, but like this it. is such he's not a concentrated to effort it, at being human. Yeah. I was just saying, it's almost like if you like put like programming into like a robot and said like make jokes and then like robot make jokes. And then that's like the, the jokes that he makes like, Oh, plays on words. But uh, I will say, think that this is going to be one of those free agencies that and it's always every single one but this one i think he's going to really dominate because it's so top heavy with just a few guys and i think that's why he was disparaging and not really disparaging i shouldn't say that but that's why he wasn't hyping up and anyone who's not hyping up yamamoto to me is on the other side because that that's arguably the best free agent that he doesn't have right and and also like one of the better that he hasn't had in a while. Like how often does Boris not have the number two guy or number one guy in a class? Like it'll happen from time to time, but in this class, like he's going to be the most expensive pitcher and Boris doesn't have him. He doesn't have Otani either. I think Otani is CAA if I'm not mistaken. So he doesn't have Otani. Yeah. But what are you going to say about that guy? uh, Pun wise. Too jacked, big, sick, and fast. Don't forget. I was trying to think of a weird pun, but like, I just can't do it. Yeah, just don't even try. So how about the sellers? Um, Arm, you ID'd with two of the GMs that, that have kind of made their case to be yeah. what open for, you know, maybe selling off their marquee pieces. Yeah, and I'll leave the floor for Peter on on, on Ryan Cashman's. Uh, I, I think his worst PR situation, like the worst address he's had, I think, as the Yankees GM as far Ever as I can remember. in the history but, of baseball. Yeah, I'll, I'll tee you up for that. But first, I... I actually thought Chris Getz was great because I, I, so Chris Getz, new White Sox GM comes in and says, I don't like our team and we have to make some adjustments to improve in 2024. That was the direct quote. Uh, and that's via Dan Hayes and the athletic. And it, you know what? I, I think in some context that's harsh and you're like, whoa, like if Peter Bendix came and said that with the Marlins, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, this team's like are doing all right. It needs some changes, but like, whoa. With the White Sox, I think that's exactly what fans want to hear at this point, right? You've seen, you've been in the purgatory of frustration and just uh, ineptitude and and not a lot of accountability and all of these things. And now you have a general manager who, yes, who was an internal hire, but he comes in and says, no, this shit isn't going to fly. And this team kind of sucks. Like there's talent, but this team doesn't win. 
and we got to shake this thing up. And he says they're open for business, according to Ken Rosenthal. So to me, that's everybody but Luis Robert. And I think that's great. That's what we've been asking for. So and who's getting uh, Dylan Cease finally? And I, I, I think would, that's the big question. I wouldn't count out them selling Luis Robert either. He might just want a clean house if he can get an enormous package. I mean, if you can get a Robert. Soto package for him, like, yeah, yeah why not? Second team all just baseball, right? Yeah. Which is big for front offices. Yeah. Huge <laughs> for front offices. But that probably means, I'm not sure where Moncada's value lies, but that probably None. means that Benintendi can get Ugh. something. It's a <laughs> weird contract to move, base. I know. But Benintendi is is probably floated after year one of a contract. Yeah, Yankees and, are looking for a left-handed bat, I heard. Mm-hmm. There we go. Uh, yeah. Eloy Jimenez could be on the move. How about he'll get he'll, he'll still get a, a a nice little return, especially with a better year this year. You think Vaughn could get a return? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's so, just another guy. Good player, just doesn't. He's kind of part of their problem, right? Doesn't have a specific position. Uh, doesn't really, I think, fill the voids that they have. Like they have a lot. Like Eloy is kind of redundant to Vaughn, who's kind of redundant to. I think their situation is just kind of bizarre. So. That was an interesting one. And then the Brewers, uh, that one was a little bit more unique because the Brewers were a good team all year. But if you look at the 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 state of the franchise, you can understand why they might be ready to sell here. And that seems to be the rumblings is that they, everybody, they, that, that, that was another Ken Rosenthal thing. Everybody is available. Think about it from this lens. You have Corbin Burns for one more year. Brandon Woodruff is under control for one more year, but won't pitch. He's hurt. So that's two guys that you're going to lose to free agency after this season. Well, Lee Adamas about to be a free agent. Yelich, yes, he bounced back, but you know he's he's going getting older. Uh, no, you he's can go awesome. get the rest of the team. It's young, so it, it's it's a really interesting spot for them to be in. And the reality is, when they lose a couple of those core guys, they're not going to be able to pay them all. Yeah, they're not going to be able to compete with the the Cubs that are going to leapfrog them. I think that's where the Cubs are about to be aggressive. They smell the blood in the water. The rest of the divisions, yeah, we'll see how the Reds continue. But I think it actually does make sense for the Brewers to sell. It's just Adamas, Burns, nobody's going to take Woodruff right now. No. So who else do you have to sell? You're not trading Contreras. And the rest of the guys are really young. So are they trading young guys for younger? Like I, I, That's the one thing I don't get. I get Burns and Adamas. Who else is available? I, I think Burns is probably the big one because he becomes the best you know, pitcher available via trade, like those teams that are trying to work between the margins and don't have money for a seven-year extension, but want a top flight starting pitcher, they'll go get Corbin Burns for a year. So I think after we're, I really don't believe we're going to see a deal for Corbin Burns until we see Snell off the board, Nola off the board, Yamamoto off the board, because then these teams that operate more between the margins than some of the big ticket ones that we think are going to land the marquee free agent starting pitchers. I think that's when they start to throw some prospects at Milwaukee and say, Hey, we'd love to take birds off your hand for the final year. I think that's probably the guy when Matt Arnold says what he says, it's, Hey, we're talking about Corbin Burns, maybe Adamas, but like Tyrone Taylor, he's what's he going to get him a double a guy. That's the thing they're all kind of, different iterations of Tyrone Taylor to be totally honest <laughs> I think yeah. I think you guys are forgetting a big name that could potentially be on the market Devin Williams right they already yeah, traded Josh Hader he signed a one-year 3.35 million dollar deal in arbitration in 2023 right if they have a history of moving these 
really good closers because they seem to just spawn guys, right? Abner Uribe just came out of nowhere. Joel Piamps, right? They got Mazarowski. I don't even know if I said his name right, but I Bill remember. Mazarowski? Yeah, Bill Mazarowski? Yeah, probably. You guys know what I want. Peter Mazarowski. Yeah, Jacob Mazarowski. Yeah. Jacob I mean, Mazarowski. Yeah, Jacob Mazarowski. I don't know his name, but I know his arm because I saw him <laughs> in the Futures game pumping 102. I look over at Jack and Arm. I'm like, who is this demon on the mound right now? He's a like, yeah, he's just, yeah, he's yeah. just another brewer that they have just creating in their system. So I would not be surprised. You could get a no. big ass package. Again, yeah. another first team all just baseball guy. And another guy offices. who's a free agent free agent after one more year. So he's same timeline as all, a lot of those guys. I think I one more that. year after that, but still. I love that ad. The other thing that we had constant conversations about during the season is the traffic among young outfielders. Mm. Yelich is immovable because he's got that escalating contract. And he's awesome. How do they juggle Freelick, Weimer, Mitchell? Oh, you can move so one of those guys. Here's my question. Is Yelich immovable at this point now? Four win season. Looked a lot better. You have now remaining on the contract. He's set to make $26 million in 2024, $26 million in 2025, $26 million in 2026, $26 million in 2027, and $28 million in 2028 with a mutual option in 2029. That's a lot of millions. A lot. It is a lot of millions. Lot but of what, millions. Jack, quick maths, that's one, two, three, four, five years at an average of $26 million. So that's 100 and. 104 plus 26 is 130. Five years, 130 in the open market for Yelly right now. I think now? that's high. You trading for that? I don't know. Uh, Could I, like, maybe you can offset <laughs> it a little bit. Like, yeah. you know, you can send a contract the other way. I wouldn't rule it out. Let's see. How about um, before we get to the Yankees being pieces of shits? Bryce Harper, only going to play first base for now on. It's not a huge headline, right? I'm just more, I'm more interested to see what happens with Reese Hoskins, who's of course the guy with the big home run off Spencer Strider. Has been a great first baseman for them. I know he's probably gone now. Yeah, right? he's gone. It sounds like he's a free agent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So phased sucks. out he, entirely. I thought he was going to be a Philly for life. He just seems so Philly, and I don't. He Philly did seem like love a, him. He did seem like a long term Philly, but yeah. Then you get and, Schwarber. Then you get. I mean, apparently they're trying to move Cassianos to another guy. Though who's going to pay? Who's going to pay him twenty million a year for three years? The Reds. <laughs> he'd be great on the Reds. Yeah, man, he, he <laughs> was good there he in the past. The Reds. Um, yeah, it's all going to be fascinating. Also, one more. We never really talked about the Padres wanting to trim payroll, and I just I wonder how they do that. But then I feel I thought, like did AJ you not Keller, make some? I thought you made some broke boy jokes about them. I we did, but like we never tangibly talked about how they can do it. We just made jokes. I oh. do feel like it's not gonna happen. AJ Preller's just gonna have a couple of whiskeys at the GM meetings and be like, fuck it. Let's give Blake Snell like three hundred million. <laughs> so I think the way you can cut some of it would be somehow unloading Jake Cronenworth. Good luck. How? Frank Grisham, you could dump for nothing. Um, but someone would take it, take his money on, I think. And then how much did they pay Robert Suarez? He makes a 10 lot. this year, 10 and 25 a player option at eight and 26 and eight and 27. Oh. See, why are you giving a reliever five years, 46 M's 
literally a year ago. And and how do you not have the foresight to say, Hey, we're going to need a bridge loan and like all this shit. And, um, and still be giving relievers that kind of money. I understand like getting in the moment and paying a Machado or paying a Xander Bogart. Like I get that, but if you know, money could be tight down the line, how are you giving 50 mil to a reliever? That's so, a, that's another reason why when I see the Craig Council contract, like I know it's an enormous bag for a manager and it blows every other one out of the water. But then you look at contracts like Robert Suarez making more. Who would you rather have, Craig Council or Robert Suarez? <laughs> Give me Craig Council. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. Which is absolutely crazy. I, I'm trying to look at who else is like – so you have Cronenworth for 7 mil. You'd have no shortage of suitors for Hassan Kim at yeah. 7 mil, but you got to keep him more. That's like the only Matt, guy you have to keep. Matt Carpenter's at five and a half. I, the fact that they gave that dude a player option is <laughs> is absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, trying to figure out how to unload Suarez, maybe they attach him to another player. And, yeah, but to your point, Jack, real hard to uh, to, to get this money wiped off the books. They're also still play, paying Hosmer 12 yeah. mil and retained salary this year. Maybe trade Bogart, trade Bogarts to the Nationals. We'll swap, get some of the guys back. Is anyone going to take that contract on now? Oh. Like Musgrove, maybe. But now, who pitches for you? <laughs> like, you got a thirty-seven-year-old U Darvish that just signed another what five-year deal, six-year deal. I think Michael Walker could go for three hundred innings. You just gotta say, hey, you're throwing eighty-six. He's a free agent now. Yeah. Bro, you just hit the open market again. Yeah, he's gone. Never mind. So we'll see. All right, Peter, floor is yours on the Yankee front, man. So let me set the scene. Brian Cashman came out and talked to reporters, right? The classic crew was there. Joel Sherman, John Heyman, a lot of New York media guys. And I love when they're there because they're the only people with the stones to fight back against a guy like Brian Cashman. But Brian Cashman hawked a big green loogie and spit it in the face of Yankee fans. I thought it was one of the most disrespectful press conferences I have ever seen from a general manager. We'll go through a couple of the points. So the first big one that got a lot of the news was Brian Cashman came out and said, we have the biggest pro scouting department and the smallest analytical department in the American League East. Weird flex. Weird, weird flex accusing people that they accusing people who say that they only follow analytics are bullshit. And he kept saying, has anyone looked into that? Has anyone looked into that? The classic Yankee game these days is their pitchers go four innings and then they immediately go to the bullpen. So first of all, even if you have one guy working in your analytics department, you're obviously still very bought into the numbers. They don't bunt. They don't play old school baseball. They are almost at least one of the poster boys for the team that only uses analytics. That's what Yankee fans have been so upset for for the past decade. So to say that you have this big pro scouting department and no analytical department, first of all, I think is bullshit. Second of all, It ain't working. Let's look at some of the players that you have brought in using all of your great scouts and no analytics. How about one of the worst trades in the past decade? The Josh Donaldson trade, where you basically just lit $50 million on fire. How about bringing in IKF to be your shortstop? 
then bench him in the playoffs because it didn't work. How about holding on to Miguel Andujar and never trading him, even when he had this great rookie year? You could have cashed in, but you decided, no, Andujar is our guy. How did that work out? How about holding on to Gary Sanchez for years and years to just have him be horrible defensively now he's and never good hit? Say it again? Now he's kind of good again. Yeah, of course now he's good again. How about the Harrison Bader deal? You traded away Jordan Montgomery because your scouting department, right? You're not using analytics, so your scouting department thought he wouldn't fit in the playoff rotation. So you trade him for Harrison Bader. I didn't mind the deal at the time, but obviously that backfired, right? We can have takes on whether we like the deal at the time. It is your job to get the deal right. There have been so many more moves that you have gotten wrong than you have gotten right. And a lot of people say, well, look at the Clay Holmes deal, right? He wasn't that good in Pittsburgh, and then he comes over. Congratulations for winning a couple of moves. Like the well, barometer also- for being the barometer for being good shouldn't be that you succeeded with a couple of relievers. Go ahead, Arm. That's generally where the analytics shine through, too, is where you can find outlier pitches and, and, and outlier release points and and things like that in relievers. Like that's why the Rays and the Brewers and a lot of these other teams, the Orioles are really good at that. What's interesting to me is like that's a I understand wanting to push back on saying all of our decisions are based based on analytics. Everything that we do is the ship is steered by analytics. I I can understand wanting to push back on that. But the way in which Cashman pushes back is bizarre to me because it's every team should be using their scouting department and and investing in that because there's still so much value in being able to get out there. I just did in Arizona and the things that I was able to see in person versus what I see in the back end data. The, the data is kind of the result. You got to see the, what precedes that. But that said, the data is is basically compensating for what you can't do, which is have a human everywhere at all times, seeing every pitch in intricate detail. So like to, to say, no, we, we don't, we aren't steered by analytics. We actually don't use them at all. Basically is what he said. Like, that's the weirdest part to me is like, that's not the issue. Nobody's saying that you shouldn't use analytics. Everyone's just saying that you shouldn't be totally led by that and base every single decision on those numbers. So I just thought the Cashman response was even more of a lack of feel because it's like nobody wants you to not use analytics or have the smallest analytics department. That's embarrassing. That's not something you want to brag about. That's not good. It's good to use all of the information you have and then make a decision. If you want to base that decision more on the ward of scouts, that's fine. But you still should be consulting a normal sized analytics department and then Combining those things to have very good prospects. That's what a lot of the best teams do. Uh, it's not like the analytically driven teams just don't have any scouts. They're not like, we have we have no scouts. We, we don't even use our scouting department. Like, imagine that the other way. It's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Like, it just doesn't make sense. So I thought that was weird. And then one other little own by The Athletic again. Cashman claimed the Yankees have the smallest analytics department in the American League East. Reporting from The Athletic in 2018 showed that the Yankees and the Dodgers had the biggest analytic departments in the sport at the time. So unless Cashman cut them down over the last six years, last five years, I don't even know what he's talking about. So it's it's also still not true. Uh, Eric Boland, who is the Yankees beat writer at Newsday, um, saw a study done by Four Ring Sports Solutions on August 27th of this year, and it was the number of R&D staffers that each front office has, which is full-time analysts and engineers. As of August 27th, 2023, Four Ring Sports Solutions. 
Tampa has 44 full-time R&D staffers. The Yankees have 43. They have the second biggest R&D department in Major League Baseball. By the way, two smallest, three smallest, actually. Miami, Colorado, Oakland. Are you shocked? What do they have in common? <laughs> I, w- I want to punch a hole in my computer. Right no, now. So so what he's saying, basically, is we're more like Miami, Oakland, and and... and- but it's also like not true. He's trying to look like them, but it's not yeah, factually no, correct. We're not like it's that. We're more like weird. Colorado. We're more like Colorado in Miami. Like, which by the way, Peter Bendix changing that shit. Watch yeah, out, dude. Yeah, that looks so. Peter. Did you see the video of him getting poured with beer um, after they clinched a postseason spot, and he was kind of doing the like ah ah, it's cold. Uh. Thing. That's how I know that guy's going to be a good GM. <laughs> Tufts University, baby. I don't know. The jumbos. I don't know what he was a jumbo. Experience. Don't know what playing experiences. Don't care. I'm 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 all. I haven't I haven't commented on Bendix on the show yet. All the way in. Just wanted to to put that out there. All the way in. Cool. I have more points. Um, he he said coaches being poached off the Yankees is evidence that their process is really good. What Max. a dumbass statement. <laughs> there are so many coaches that do the ring around throughout Major League Baseball. I think Buck Showalter has managed half the teams in Major League Baseball. And then to continue that point, when he started talking about Sonny Gray and Joey Gallo, that other contenders wanted them. He mentioned Joey Gallo, and he thinks it's so funny that, well, the Dodgers picked him up. And then the Twins picked him up. So other teams thought he was good. The the Dodgers wanted Joey Gallo because all they had to trade you was a flyer reliever in Clayton Beater. That was the only reason. And then what they use him as? A bench bat. They thought, oh, we'll take a flyer on him. You did not take a flyer on him when you traded for him. You played him in left field for a full season where he struck out 200 times, hit 190, and was just obviously not a good fit. And then he mentioned that he spoke with Rugnit Odor, who was his teammate. And then he said, this is from Michael Kay. Rugnit Odor was his teammate. So, and he said that he would be able to play in New York. Michael K said he then spoke to 10 other people when the trade happened that it was going to be a disaster. So your scouting department, your analytics department, whoever the fuck that you have that manages these type of deals obviously was completely wrong. And then Sonny Gray, go ahead, Jack, before I continue on Gray. Yeah, I got to push back on the beater thing. He's not a flyer reliever anymore. He was one of statistically the better pitchers in the upper minors this year and will be a starting pitcher for the Yankees in 2024. Beater has kind of regained that starting pitching prowess and that prospect prowess. So I did need to push back there. I get that there were flaws when they at traded the time, Gallo though, for at Beater. At the time. No, it was a good trade for the Yankees. At the time, he was more of a closer type prospect. Mm, no, he was a starter that they were going to see what they had. He had reliever risk, but by no means was he in a bullpen yet. He was you know, a guy that could be seen as a tweener down the road, but he hasn't turned into that. He's a legit starting pitching prospect. We'll see. We'll see if he becomes a legit starting pitching prospect. We'll see. I'm hoping. And then well, the, the weird thing about it, too, is like if a guy succeeds elsewhere, it doesn't make the move good for you. That's like the Cubs saying or the Cardinals saying, look, look, at, look at Jason Hayward. Look at what we did. But he, he played well with the Dodgers. So the money that we gave him was was good. Like The Cubs saying that like, would not make any sense. Right. Like, oh, we told you that the Hayward contract was good because he played well with the Dodgers way after it. Like that, that's not how that works. So, yeah, I mean, that that's that's another side of it, too, which is like. If you are scout 
driven as well and human driven, you should have a better feel for who is able to play in New York and who isn't. And to Peter's point, he has not really had a good feel for that thus far no. with Sonny Gray. And it's funny that he actually specifically referenced those guys who then and, succeeded elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, like it doesn't make it better. It doesn't vindicate you if they succeeded elsewhere. You're supposed to identify players who can succeed for you. And then otherwise, not let them leave. Yeah. And otherwise, shouldn't, you, shouldn't you have a feel since you have been the general manager since before I was born? Shouldn't that be a part of like why Brian Cashman is a good general manager? Because you can go out and say, yeah, I've been the general manager for the New York Yankees since 1995 or 94. I grew up with this organization. I know who can play in New York. And he hasn't had that. And then that just moves on to the Sonny Gray point where he said, well, the Twins picked him up, right? A bunch of other teams were into him. You're not special for being able to identify that Sonny Gray is good, right? Anybody good with eyes, he was good before. Anybody with eyes could have said, Sonny Gray is a good pitcher. So for you to say that, oh, we just couldn't play in New York. Other teams want him. Of course they did. Of course they did. You know, we were talking, they changed Sonny Gray's pitch mix when he came over to New York. And then he moves on to another team. His sweeper, Jack, we talked about it on the last show. Opponents did 097 against it. Did he throw it with the Yankees? Of course he didn't. And then the Frankie Montas deal. You traded for a guy who was injured. Yeah, I mean, we're just, we're kind of going through every bad thing of the Brian Cashman tenure, which like, but the thing is, the reason why we're doing it is because he went on, he was so defensive about it. And he was trying to prove to us that they were good deals when then they were objectively not. Like, and then the just the cherry on top of the shit Sunday. When he said, when they're talking about the development that Joel Sherman is combating with him, that the Yankees really haven't had that great of a development system. Right. They haven't pulled up a lot of big time prospects. They haven't had a core four since a long time ago. And then he mentioned Judge and he mentioned Volpe. And like Judge had to get outside help to get his swing better. And yes, Volpe probably will be a great player. Right. Probably he was a 2020 player player with a gold glove. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how he won the gold glove. Like we didn't even really talk about that. He's, I don't know how he won it, but hey, he won it. But then he's talking about Oswald Peraza. How would Oswald Peraza play? Right there's DJ Lemayhew at third. There's Josh Donaldson there. Glaber the Torres. Whole, the whole roster. What are we? Yeah, we're, we're doing about? the whole. So we're doing the whole roster thing. But we did this at the end of the regular season too. We had this conversation. Hi, hey, like why do the Yankees not develop the, the talent the way other top flight organizations do? They might. They just never give those guys shots. And we had this conversation in September when Dominguez and Pereira got up and Austin Wells. That's like the very that's a very rare opportunity in recent Yankee history where a guy gets the opportunity to play every day from the jump. And Volpe got that opportunity. Oswald Peraza has been a consensus top 100 prospect for the last two years, maybe consensus top 50 for the last two years. He just graduated, but give me a month where this guy was an everyday player. No, but that's the point I'm making that he was saying that we believe in Oswald Peraza there just wasn't a lane for him. And I'm saying that how is there not a lane for him when you're seeing that DJ LeMahieu is struggling? You're seeing that Josh Donaldson is a dumpster lit on fire. Paying them a lot of money. And then that's his fault. 
Yeah. Like it's it's all his fault. Were you expecting to get this riled up about the Yankees on November 9th? Yeah. I was not expecting this press conference. Like this press conference made my blood boil. You should you should transition your emotions to the Knicks for the next couple months. <laughs> also, uh Chris Getz actually said nobody is untouchable, by the way. So Okay. Well, That's a Soto Beal? type return. Yeah. Only a couple teams that can do that. Only and then Brian Cashman said, oh, I think we're, we're pretty fucking good <laughs> after finishing 82 and 80 and finishing with the second least amount of hits in Major League Baseball to the Oakland Athletics. Aaron Boone said he wants to bunt more. And Aaron Judge oh. said that he should start focusing on stats like RBI and batting average. I'm done. I am so upset. Let's do awards. Awards. Yeah. <laughs> awards. Quick break first. Awards. We are working off of the three finalists announced for each of them in both leagues that Major League Baseball put out earlier this week. We're going to start with Rookie of the Year, then go to Manager of the Year, then Cy Young, then MVP, American League, then National League. Things are going to go quick here because, unfortunately, we really don't have much of a dialogue on many of these at all. I think Manager of the Year is where we get the dialogue. But AL Rookie of the Year, amped for Tanner Bybee to be on this, one of three finalists. He deserved to be one of three finalists. He joins Tristan Casas of the Red Sox and Gunnar Henderson of the Orioles. Uh, Love Tanner. Tanner was the best rookie pitcher in baseball this year in the American League, but Gunnar Henderson was next level good. So Gunnar Henderson is the consensus pick. Yeah. Which is which is why we had that rookie pitchers award conversation with Walker. And you know, we can give we can give our own there. Like he's the he's the American League rookie pitcher of the year. Yeah. But Gunnar on the other side, I mean, yeah, guy's gonna compete for MVPs. So yeah. Congrats to him too. Congrats to him. Anything we, to add? No. Yeah, I wish we could argue more, but like Gutter was just the best rookie. And by a lot. It's, but it's, it, it, was it by a lot? Because Tanner Bybee was excellent, but like he did win. Yeah, in terms, of, in terms of war, it's always hard for me with pitcher <sighs> war. I just, I think being an everyday infielder yeah, on, I mean, the best, different. the best team in the American League. Yeah, he won. Uh, yeah, it's almost a five win season. It's, hey, it's but not by a lot. That's all I got to say. Not by a lot. He won, though. By, well, I'd say by like a standard deviation. Standard deviation winner. Yeah. I like that. Is he unanimous? Yeah. Probably. I think so, too. He's unanimous. Um, I, and then I think Bybee should finish second and Casas third. Unanimous. Yeah, that, Bybee second. I, I I better see Bybee second. I mean, Casas is, had a phenomenal second half, and I love, I love Tristan Casas, but like first baseman, too. Okay, yeah. this is where we can have the conversation. Who finishes second? And and I think it's Bybee. Yeah, Gotta it's like also not an argument. Bybee then second, Casas third. And Casas was great. Bybee was better. And Gunner was the best fourth? I bet Yoshida fourth. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. We'll see. National League Rookie of the Year. Your three finalists, Corbin Carroll of the Arizona Diamondbacks, who was a six-win player. James <laughs> Outman of the Dodgers and Kodai Senga of the Mets. Shout out to Kodai Senga for being the best rookie pitcher in baseball. Like Senga was better than Bybee this year. Senga, yeah, Senga was an all-star. Senga yeah. was awesome this a year. Little a little shout biased. Shout out James Atman. Shout out James Atman for being an absolute beast this year and for putting enough hot stretches together to mitigate the cold stretches and be way more hot than cold. 
Uh, but nobody holds a candle to Corbin Carroll. This is an easy, unanimous rookie of the year. I think Sanga should finish second and Altman third. Exactly. Like it's unanimous Carroll one, unanimous Sega two, unanimous Altman three. Yeah. I mean, Sanga in the second half was one of the best pitchers in baseball. Period. Unbelievable. Uh, started to get used to the, the baseball, I think, and get a little bit comfortable and the command got better. And I mean, if he started that run a little bit earlier, he could have been in the Cy Young conversation. Which is wild. And there's a world where he could have won the Cy Young and lost the rookie of the year, which is absolutely insane if you think about it. Because I, I think if he pitched a little bit better, let's say he has a two, two, four, two, five. And I mean the DNL kind of was was a limp to the finish line. Yeah. We'll talk about that. I think there was a very real scenario where Kodai Senga could have won the Cy Young and lost the the rookie of the year, which would have been one of the weirder baseball things in a while that I actually would have agreed with as well. So yes. that that's that's pretty crazy. It was 200 punch outs for Sanga. This is why I can't really get behind pitcher war as much as some others. Kodai Sanga had a 3.4 win season. Outman was 4.4. So if you want to go off war alone, hey, James Outman, second in rookie of the year. Buddy. No, I think Sanga was a better rookie than James Outman was. Although Shout out to James Outman for putting up a four and a half win season. Seriously. He's going to be just an accumulator because he's going to be the MVP of Major League Baseball for a month and then arguably one of baseball's worst players. And then the next month he's the MVP again. Then he's one of the worst. He's just so up and down. And that's that's what happens in a rookie season for some guys. But it felt like Outman was more on both sides of the spectrum, more than most rookies, where there were times at the plate where yeah. I thought to myself, oh, it's Mookie, Freddie, then Outman. Like he's that good. And then there's times where, Outman should not be in the lineup at all. But the constant was the glove. He's a very mm-hmm. good defensive outfielder. So yeah, smooth. Some smooth fun there. with numbers real quick. Second half rookies. This is actually nuts. By ERA. Cole Reagans, 264. Ender Bybee, 263. Grayson Rodriguez, 258. And this is all with, with 12 to 14 starts. Kodai Sanga, 258. And then... These guys aren't rookies or young or anything, but Garrett Cole, two three five, Bradish two three four, and Blake's now one five four. Oh. Yeah. Still walking five per nine, but I rest my case. Yeah. Uh manager of the year in the American League. The three finalists are Bruce Bochi of the Rangers, Kevin Cash of the Rays, and Brandon Hyde of the Baltimore Orioles. The votes were in after the regular season. It does mm-hmm. not account for postseason. If it accounted for postseason, Bruce Bochy is the unanimous American League Manager of the Year, but it doesn't. Brian Snitker won the World Series in 2021. He was not a finalist for NL Manager of the Year. My vote is Brandon Hyde with the Orioles. That turnaround and the fact that he was there for the shit two years ago and has guided them to unprecedented levels in a two-year span, I think it has to be Hyde. I think it should be unanimous for Brandon Hyde. I mean, Kevin Cash, a lot of wrenches thrown in that equation, yeah. right? He Juan deserves Franco, love. Gone, tons of injuries to that team, still won 99 games, but they were projected as one of the favorites to win the division, or at least they had an outside shot of it. Like, you know, they continually go to the playoffs, and that's that's the front office. That is Kevin Cash. Like, Kevin Cash is one of the best managers in Major League Baseball. But Brandon Hyde and his Orioles team that wasn't expected to win the division 
a lot of people, including my dumbass, thought they'd finish last. Won 101 games. Has to be Brandon Hyde. Has to yeah. be. I think the way he handled the bullpen and, and handled the pitching staff in general and also handled a crowded and bizarre infield situation, right? When do you pull the plug on Mateo, who was the best player in Major League Baseball through the first few weeks, then to, to go to a youngster? Also, how much leeway do you give a struggling youngster in Gunnar Henderson, who you know, it was it was ugly when Mateo was balling, but just the feel that he had around around the entire infield and around the entire situation, you know, Mount Castle being available, not available, young guys coming up, like how much leeway do you give a Cowser versus a Kerstat? Like he had to juggle a lot of different things. And I thought Hyde did an unbelievably uh, incredible job th- throughout the regular season. So yeah, it's a no brainer for Hyde, but Bochi, I think the ebbs and flows of the season was impressive. And then you mentioned all the extracurriculars that, you know, Kevin Cash had to deal with. I thought all of them had in, intriguing responses in a positive way to adversity, which I think makes them all really strong candidates, but you got to go hide. Big time. National yep. League Manager of the Year. Three finalists are Craig Council of the Brewers, Skip Schumacher of the Marlins, Brian Snitker of the Braves. I love Snit. I think I could have managed this team to 110 yeah. wins. Council, got your bag. Give a little more credit to that. You Snit coached them to 110 games. Snit's got, I mean, dude. Arm's like, I think we could have. You know on. what? Let's spin the narrative back on its head. Yes, we could have. Yeah, I'm yeah. down. We could have gotten them to 120. Like the three of much, us. <laughs> how much did Snit have to do with Acuna going 40 70? <laughs> let's be let's be pretty honest here. Letting him steal. Sure, man. Yeah, sure. Good move. They were the 27 Yankees. I mean, I did, on offense at least. You know who it's got to be. Skip. Skip. I agree. I was going to vote Skip as well. Skip's got my he, vote. He, he, he. The team that. sucks. Yeah. I mean, to, it's to not a good baseball playoffs. team. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll let you go. Yeah, they were in the go. postseason. Yeah, they Sandy the stunk. I, Sandy stunk, and they were a postseason team. Sandy yeah. stunk and was unavailable. I, they're, they're, I wrote the Marlins offseason outlook, and it was like this moment of, how the hell did this team make the playoffs? I'm writing about how they need a shortstop. They need a catcher. They need a, they need also a corner outfielder. Um, they need a pitcher. And I was like, what, what in the world? They need jazz Chisholm to stay healthy, which is out of their control. But I was looking at it from that lens. I'm like, wow. And I do think a lot of it, you talk about the one run games, all the one run games that they've won. What's the biggest difference? Not that much personnel. In terms of players, the biggest difference from them being one of the worst one-run teams last year or two years ago to to the best one-run team this year or last year is pretty much the manager and use of the bullpen. Tanner Scott, I mean, like the way he used him, Andrew Nardi, the way he used him. And I know he he had a good feel for the bullpen, pulling the plug on Robertson quickly enough, but still using him in spots because they needed him, but they couldn't let him kill them. Uh, I thought that the feel for the bullpen by Skip was unreal. People want to micromanage and judge things. It's easy to do that. And then honestly, the way that he maneuvered the lineup, at times, sometimes I was scratching my head, but they made the playoffs with that lineup. And that's that's all that matters to me. Dude, another name is A.J. Puck, man. Like, A.J. Puck was the best closer in the game for the first three months of the season. And then all of a sudden, it's the done. Plans. The lights yep. go out and, and Skip makes a move. So... Yeah, his ability to kind of massage the eighth and ninth inning and get them as many one-run wins as they got 
And they had a lot of bullpen starts too. Like Brian Hoeing opened up more games than than, than he should have. I want to just talk quickly about that AJ Puck move because that takes a lot of balls, mm-hmm. right? Like you trade JJ Bladé, your yep. first round pick for AJ Puck. He starts lighting up a storm. He looks like a bullpen version of Randy Johnson. <laughs> and everyone's thinking to themselves, what a trade, right? You know, Bladé's hitting 230 in Oakland, and AJ Puck looks like the best reliever in baseball. And then the wheels started falling off. And instead of just riding him, right? Because I can imagine the front office was telling Skip, hey, like we got to continue to give this guy a run. We just traded our first round pick for him. I don't know if that happened. Obviously, I'm just guessing. I would but there's no, there, there's definitely optics to that, no doubt. And, and then he pulls him and it ends up working. And then he starts putting him in other spots and then it ends up working again. I, I thought he did the most with that roster more than council did because all the reports are that council sucks the most out of Milwaukee that he can in order to get wins. And I would agree, but Milwaukee objectively had a way better roster than the Marlins did. And in reality, I know playoffs don't count, but they had the same fate, right? First round exits. Bang. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. AL Cy Young. Congrats to Garrett Cole. <laughs> Garrett Cole of the Yankees. Sonny Gray of the Twins. Kevin Gosman of the Blue Jays were the three finalists. Cole crosses off one of the final two things left for him to do in baseball, and that is win a Cy Young Award. Garrett Cole has not won a Cy Young Award yet. He just got his mm-hmm. second ERA title. He's a six-time All-Star. Um, this guy, I mean, he finished, let's see, fourth in 2015, fifth in 18, second in 19, fourth in 20, second in 21, ninth in 22. He's been knocking on the door forever. And now he finally opens the door and is a Cy Young winner. The only thing left is a ring. He missed the Astros by a year. The Yankees will see how the future trends, but this guy is, he's among the best in baseball. Obviously, Trout and Otani are are number one and two on this list, or maybe one A, one B on this list. But he is among the best players in baseball to not have a World Series ring. And Harper, you might never get one. Unbelievable year, though. Um, he was the MVP of the Yankees, arguably yeah. the MVP of the American League, considering how bad the Yankees would have been if they didn't have Garrett Cole every fifth day. So how how crazy does that look now that I said Garrett Cole should be a sleeper MVP candidate? Not, you a, absolutely not a bad pick. Nailed it. Not a bad pick. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it's just Otani. Otani is just in the American League. So like he could, even if he had like a one zero zero ERA through four hundred innings, like it's just Otani hits and pitches and is fast. When he when he becomes a giant at halftime of the Frankfurt game between the Colts and the Pats on Sunday, okay, where uh, the MVP is Coles next year in the American League. No, it's J Rods. It's it's amazing the way he's he's able to just continue to to eat up innings though and. Two six three and 30, 30, 33 starts. At, he's an innings eater. He dominates. A, there's few pitchers I'm starting my franchise with other than Garrett Cole. So yeah, that was a no brainer. Yeah. Shout out Sonny Gray and Kevin Gosman though. Phenomenal. That is true. Yeah, both phenomenal both years. Like very, Cole very, was just, very good years. Cole was just unconscious, but Sonny Gray and Kevin Gosman they could have won the Cy Young in different years. They were who, so good. Who finishes second? My vote is for Sonny. My vote is also for Sonny, but it's yeah. close. You know, I, I think when if you're sub three, you know, two seven nine compared to a what a what a three one six with Gosman. Yeah. yeah, we know the FIP. <laughs> yeah, we know the FIP and the K's help too. But I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go gray on that. It one ain't a well, FIP but... award. These awards are production awards. Like we're yeah. going to old school a little bit. So it's 
it's well, really got. I don't be. know, man. Corbin Burns made it a FIP award. Yeah, yeah. Well, that big was thing for me though. Year. Eight homers allowed for Sonny Gray. Uh, 19 allowed for for Kevin Gossman, but the FIP still loves him, obviously, because of the walks. But uh, fortunately, we can't have record be much of an impact here. Sonny Gray was eight and eight, and uh, Kevin Gossman was 12 and nine. So hopefully, riders don't even look at that. Actually, yeah, give it to Gossman. He's winning games. <laughs> winning games. It's winning games. Him. Four more. Uh, NL Cy Young, the three finalists, Blake Snell of the Padres, Zach Gallen of the Diamondbacks, and Logan Webb of the Giants. Where's Justin Steele? Crazy. Insane. Insane. Insane that he is not on here. But I don't want to disrespect Gallon or Webb. But, but Steele should finish second. I mean, what are we doing here? So I think the way it's going to roll out is Snell wins, clearly. Yeah. I bet they go Gallon 2, Webb 3, Steele 4. I thought Steele had a better year, relatively speaking, than Gallon. I, I thought it should be Snell one, Steele two, Gallon three, Webb four. I think you could argue Webb three over Gallon four, but I think Steele should be two. Arm, what do you think? It's tough because the thing with my, here's my challenge, and then there's a lot of what ifs here, and then we just get into like the philosophy of like what we look at and pitcher. Cy Young is the hardest for me, but. Steel obviously limped to the finish line pretty bad. Uh, and it was a innings high for him and it was a phenomenal year. 173 innings versus Zach Gallon's 210. And mm-hmm. yeah, Gallon had some ebbs and flows at the end, but continued to throw and threw a lot. If you gave four to five more starts to Justin Steele, where he ends up somewhere close to Zach Gallon's ERA, where, or sorry, Zach Gallon's innings total. How close is the ERA going to be then to Gallon's three four seven? Can you can you repeat the ERAs for both of them? So Justin Steele had a three oh six. Zach Gallon had a three four seven. That's a big gap. A big but so gap. is a yeah. What was it forty seven or thirty seven inning gap between the yeah. two of them? So I'm yeah. just thinking the way Steele kind of finished, he makes four or five more starts, six more starts, which is what Gallon did. Does does the ERA get higher? Like, are we punishing Gallon for being more available? and making four more starts, that's where it's hard for me. Steele was my my pick all the way through until the end there where he really hit a wall. That's where I'm I'm struggling to to, to make my decision. But I'm going to probably go Gallon too, just because, again, four more starts that, again, we're going to punish Gallon for, for being more available. I, that That's kind of hard for me. Yeah. And what about Webb? Webb's awesome. Webb eclipsed 200 innings. This is just what he's going to do every year. I think he should finish third or fourth every year. Honestly, Webb might be too. I think Webb is above Gallon. He he had a 3-2-5 ERA in 216 innings. I'd go more innings, lower ERA than Gallon. I think it should be ah shit. Two complete games, too. I mean so I I would go Blake Snell, Logan Webb, Zach Gallon, and then Justin Steele. I think they actually got it right. You think that you would go gallon over steel? I still think the the point four gap is even if you gave him like four more starts, five more starts, whatever it is. Point four is a lot. Point four is a lot. And it's not like gallon was great at the end of the year either. That's what I'm saying though, but he kept yeah. he made four more starts. Yeah. And now that like works against him. It's it's yeah, tough. it should work against him. It shouldn't. Yeah. 
But the thing is, Snell won. <laughs> yeah, Snell, Snell won. won, and like I can't believe it. I kept waiting for the shoe to drop, but no, we're gonna have. I gotta say, it's got to be the first Cy Young winner with ninety nine walks, right? Yeah, it's dude, arguably like, he led the National League in walks. It's arguably the most impressive Cy Young award ever. Walking that many guys and still dominating like that. I mean, it's, the narrative. it's up there. Let's spin the narrative however we want. It kills I, me. It honestly it kills, hurts my soul that this guy can walk that many guys and win the Cy Young Award. And am I a bad person that the more it hurts your soul, the more I want to spin it the other way just to argue? No, you're no, not it's a pretty bad funny. person. Um, <laughs> Him and yeah. Johan Oviedo. You know, Johan Oviedo had 83 walks. Charlie Morton had 83 walks. Blake Snell had 99 if we're looking at the national league side of things so that's insane that's 16 more walks issue than anybody si- else 16 more than johan oviedo no but think about it that's how dominant he was i know 100 walks and he's still rocking an era in the mid twos it hurts by the way no one, 115 hits next next least was kodai sango with 126 wow. with three, innings. 14 less innings jeez man He's kind of the anti-whip merchant. By the way, Peter, speaking of uh, us kind of going against each other, how'd you feel about Brett Rippon's start in Green Bay on Sunday? Do you like that for the Rams? I do like that we were being tagged in a bunch of stuff. That The bets that you gentlemen have made with zero upside on your just some of the dumbest shit ever. But yeah, it was Brent Rippon. It is not Stetson Bennett. We are still waiting on that bet because Jack McMullen said, you could punch me in the face if Stetson Bennett ever throws a pass to the NFL. And I said, well, do I have to give up anything? You're like, no. And I'm like, okay. Well, he's I'll like away it. from the team. No, isn't he like away from the team? Yeah, I, I don't so. think he ever it, will throw. He never a pass, said what but, it was. But would you risk getting punched in the face if he magically throws one pass? Dude, I, I Tommy said Tommy DeVito on, is in right now for the Giants. This is not a football I, I would have put my life on, on, on I would have put my life on under one half pass there yep. with the Giants. But uh no, I mean I said the same thing with Tristan Casas. I said if he wasn't a good hitter in the major league level you could punch me in the face on the call up like a couple years ago and i got a little nervous in the first half i was like waiting for just some random red sox fan to just clock me and say that's what you get for getting my hopes up but we, we made it out no made i'm out. i'm on the other side i'll take all these bets with no downside for me <laughs> a fist. uh al mvp it's shohei otani second will be Corey seager third will be marcus Semyon. And that's the end of the conversation. End of podcast. I mean, but 75 extra base hits for Corey Seager in 119 games blows my mind. Amazing year. World Series MVP. Unfortunately, he doesn't pitch. And Arm, can you do your best spin zone into a Seager MVP vote? Yes, please. If you go by value per game, yep. Corey Seager would actually have the edge. Hellions. Um, so that's, that's my angle there. Also... If you go by most impressive individual swing, mm. I would go with Corey Seager's, though Otani obviously gets some, get some good snaps <laughs> off. But Corey Seager, best individual swing. I mean, wh- what a year. 119 games, what he was able to do. I mean, it worked out for him. He got a World Series and a World Series MVP. But I think if, if he played a full 150 to one, 162, you know, or something similar to, to what we saw from Semyon, I, I think we're having a conversation here because Otani – hurt you know team sucks he plays 135 obviously was unbelievable across the board but i think seager with another 40 games under his belt could have you know hit 45 home runs could have had it eight or nine war 
And then at that point, what are we talking about? We're, we're having a full blown conversation here. So but I'm almost we? glad that we're not having that stressful ass conversation. Cause the, the Otani Vladdy discourse that one year that wore me down. Um, but again, Testament to Semyon too. Like, Holy crap. So I, I'm going to spin zone Semyon, but I want to answer that point that you said, let's say you finish with an eight and a half win season for Seager hit 345 bombs probably still doesn't win we're having the conversation we are having probably doesn't win but we are having the conversation it's definitely one where it's like it's not the otani award right like you're talking about it and saying like what else could Corey seager reasonably do but like i think that's the best thing a player can do is even just make you have the conversation which is no doubt you have to be so fucking insane as a position player to you have to be historic make the conversation happen historic so Kind of going back a year, if Judge hit 56 home runs instead of 62, I think we're having a conversation. I agree. I don't think he wins it. Yeah. I don't think he wins it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. Let, let me spin zone Marcus Simeon. Let me figure this out. So. Played 162 games. That's way more than any of the other. No teams. one else played who, more than that. Who would you rather have? A guy who's on the field or a guy who's not on the field? I personally would rather have the player who's playing baseball. Otani and Seager dealing with injuries, probably on the golf course, not trying. Marcus Semien is bringing his lunch to the field every day and providing a ton of value. Who's a better defender, Seager or Semien? Eh, Maybe Seager, but Semien's really good. Semien's a way better defender than Otani. DH. Yeah. DH, right? Get in the field. Okay. Like for the rest of us. Counterpoint. Yes, including me for some reason. <laughs> NIL valuation. If we were to place an NIL valuation on Shohei Otani and Marcus Semyon, is Otani 40X or 50X Semyon's value? I think a thousand X. so rude. It's like 30X. <laughs> <laughs> but great year from Semyon. Great year. We'll say though, 276, 348, 478 slash line shouldn't be an MVP finalist. That's a but... that's a lunch pail slash line. Yeah, that's that's going to the ballpark every day. Yeah, little hard hat, hard hat <laughs> Rangers slash line. He's probably dealing with like nine different injuries, but he's still going out there. So what are we gonna ding him for playing more? Right. Yeah, we just no, talked right, about I Gallen. agree. Use my <laughs> argument against me. I love it. Now I, I would say the interesting thing about this is if Otani leaves the American League. Just look at the fact that Marcus Semyon is a finalist. Great year. Again, I'm not taking that away. Really, really good year. The MVP is going to be wide open next year. J-Rod. Wide open. Seager should be probably the favorite. Assuming that no one big shifts either way except for Otani leaving. It's going to be Seager, Judge, and then who? Julio like, Rodriguez. J-Rod. Yeah. He's going to win. J-Rod. I'm very confident in it. And um, who else should be in that conversation? Do you think Yandy Diaz finishes fourth? I think he does. I think he deserves it. Dude, he was unbelievably great this year. I mean, a 164 WRC plus. Unbelievable year. Like, I wouldn't have hated if Yandi was the third finalist instead of Semyon, but I totally understand the Semyon appeal there. Lunch pail guy. Yeah. Yeah. You just go with the blue collar. Yeah. Grit and grind fella. Yeah. What did did Yandi Diaz win a World Series this year? No. No. Did he play in the Loser. DS this year? No. No. Loser. NL MVP. Congratulations to Ronald Acuna Jr. The question is second place, and the other two finalists are Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts. Who had the better year between Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts? Mookie. Mookie. Yeah. He had 39 homers. Freddie had 29, but 
Freddie was what Freddie was a 7.9 win player. Mookie was 8.3, 8.2, Freddie almost had 60 doubles. That hasn't been done since Joe Medwick in 1936. How's that? Which isn't even real. Joe Medwick was the last National League Triple Crown winner. We, I, I remembered the name Medwick because we were talking about Paul Goldschmidt being that guy until like the last two weeks of the season last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but Medwick was uh, the last Triple Crown winner in the National League. Or Cardinal. Cardinal, because actually, no, National League. So let's try and spin zone Mookie. Can Acuna play shortstop? No. <laughs> Probably. Can he play, can't s- play right? Yeah, he can't play right. No. I, what, I, you hate I, defense? Defense. Defense. I'd go. Yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, I, I. You can't. It just. You just can't knock forty-one and seventy-three. What the hell is 40, that? Three. Yeah. And Arum, by the way, hit three forty. Arum, Jack read the stats on the. I think it was a show ago or two shows ago, whatever, and just went through the slash line, and just hearing it. It's it's better than watching it happen in real time. It's just <laughs> it's, hearing the slash line is it's amazing. Just, it's absurd. But for second place, I I think Freeman was awesome, and I I just I place a lot of value on, and I know that Mookie didn't do a ton with the glove this year relative to what we're used to, like which is usually the best defensive right fielder or one of in the game. But I also think moving around was part of it for him. Like he had to play second, he had to play short, he had to play right. I just think the very fact that they could do those serviceably and and fill in for a team that desperately needed that, I think makes him valuable. Um, so you can dissect the numbers and things like that. But to me, I think the number is very comparable. And honestly, first base power position and Mookie outslugged him. So it, it's I know that he did a lot of good things, Freeman, but I think for me, it's a, a slam dunk for Mookie number two. Freeman will probably be the best third place MVP since like the steroid era, though. If the MLB, by the way, fun, fun thing to pass the time, go through the steroid era, early 2000s, late 90s, uh, and go look at some of the stat lines of guys who finished 15th in in MVP voting. There's like a Luis Gonzalez season where he had like 50 home runs and he finished like 18th in MVP voting. Like the, the baseball, Major League Baseball was just so cracked at that point that. You could see some crazy numbers. I used to do that all the time to pass the time. Just the funniest, most insane stat lines I could find, not in the top 10 of an MVP. And there's some crazy ones out there. If Major League Baseball was like the NFL and you had to choose an MVP, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, Manager of the Year for the entire league without divisions, what would you guys go with? I would go... The entire league. I'll give you my answer. So it's basically would, Acuna versus Otani. Yes. I would go Shohei Otani, the MVP of the league. I would go Garrett Cole as the Cy Young of the league. For rookie of the year, I would go Corbin Carroll. And for manager of the year, I would go Brandon Hyde. Any disagreements? None for me. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Also, fun, fun one, 99. Mark McGuire hit 65 home runs and drove in 147. And finished fifth in MVP voting. Sammy Sosa hit 63 and finished ninth in MVP voting. Who finished eighth? Eighth? Edgardo Alfonso. Nice. What do you do? Sick pull. 304, 385, 502 with 27 homers. I don't know how he finished ahead of Sammy Sosa. Todd Helton. Larry Walker. 
Yeah. Slash 379-458-710 and finished 10th course. He had a 7-10 slugging. So I was but, I was gonna mention no. Todd Helton finished 19th in 2002. Uh, had an OPS over a thousand, hit three thirty with thirty and one hundred and ten. I'm 19th. telling you, I could do this shit all day. It's crazy looking at some of the guys that didn't win way back. It's it's actually obscene. Some of the stat lines that these guys put up that have no hardware for it. I think it's time for some niche awards. Niche awards. So I compiled a list. They're not real awards, but they're my awards. They're the just baseball niche awards. Number one, the hole in the bat award given to the player with the most strikeouts. That's Kyle Schwarber, who struck out 215 times. But if we're looking at strikeout rate, Brent Rooker led Major League Baseball with a 32.7% rate. This is very similar to the other awards where these are who led in these stats with a funny name. Any disagreements on the answer to the we question? We can't. It, it's yeah. actually impossible to disagree with these awards. It They're is. statistically based. Here is the Stone Hands Award given to the worst defender in Major League Baseball. And now defense is a spectrum, right? There's a lot of different defensive stats to evaluate how good a defender is. So I pulled the worst in defensive runs saved, the worst in outs above average, and the worst in defensive war. Your worst defender in terms of defensive runs saved, Elias Diaz of the Colorado Rockies finished with negative 16. Kyle Schwarber's again on this list for worst defender in terms of outs above average. That's a range stat. That kind of makes sense. Negative 19 outs above average. And in terms of defensive war, you pull them all together. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., negative 17.2 defensive war. He finished with 1.0 F4 this year. Thanks a lot, Vladdy. I'm about That's to destroy crazy. you in the offseason for costing me all this money, but it won't be biased at all. Um, the BESR award given to the players with the highest exit VLO. Remember those insane bats? My personal favorite, Red CF3. That's where I got my first Easton home run stealth. with. The Easton Stealth went crazy. I just I have a soft spot for the Red CF3. That was my first home run when I was 10. Straight away center field, probably a good 220. Good on you. Good on me. It's crazy. You've never topped it since. Yeah, literally. Ronald Acuna Jr., 121.2 miles an hour off Emmett Sheehan. We all remember that pissed missile. Yeah. Yes. That went 440 feet at like a launch angle, too. Uh, but highest average exit below, Aaron Judge, 97.4. Second, two-way tie between Ronald Acuna Jr. and Otani at 94.7. So Aaron Judge led by a sizable margin there. So the BESR bat that I remember was that red EXO. You remember mm, that one? EXO with like the yellow flames surrounding the word EXO on the barrel. Underrated one. Do you guys remember the Blue Bomber? No. Blue Bomber. You guys don't remember that one? Blue Bomber. No. I remember yeah, the two-piece Marini ones. You remember the two-piece? Yeah, those, those things a... always broke. Was it Blue Bomber like the combat? Yeah. That thing oh, those, 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 those were nice. Yeah, love the blue bomber. All right, next award. Or we, we want to talk more about bats. I'm down to talk no, the cherry bats. bomb, the red cherry bomb. Those got like outlawed, I think. <laughs> those were nasty. Those I want to get killing kids. I want to get, yeah, I want to get a couple pro guys on like a hit tracks this offseason. Those BSR bats, by the way, are super expensive because uh, when Griffin Conine and Mike Rothenberg, two of my buddies, played in the college world series or not the college world series, the uh, home run derby home run in derby. Omaha. 
they want you to use BESR bats, but they're not going to supply them for you. So they all had to like, they searched, couldn't find them. They bought them on eBay for like 300 bucks, 400 bucks. Like they're like almost the equivalent of like a GameCube now where it's, it's become rare. (laughs) It's vintage. Uh, So I, I might try to stockpile some just so I can go to the park and feel something. Yeah. yeah, like in a hundred years, someone's gonna have a Honus Wagner card and like a red CF three. Yeah, case. I'll have a cherry. They're bomb. both gonna be the same price. <laughs> All right, the Wet Noodle Award, the lowest average exit velo from a player. Asturi Ruiz of the Oakland A's swung a wet noodle this year. His average exit velo eighty two point seven miles an hour off the bat, by far the lowest in Major League Baseball. Next award. The Hand Cannon Award, fastest throw from an outfielder, Brenton Doyle of the Colorado Rockies. Animal. Chucked one in at 105.7 miles an hour. Since StatCast started tracking this, at least on Baseball Savant, it only goes back to 2020. The fastest throw since it started getting tracked. Brenton Doyle, shout out Brenton Doyle. The Big Balls Award given to the clutchest player in Major League Baseball. It's a two-way tie. And so what it is, it's hard to actually evaluate who is the clutchest, but we can use the clutch stat on fan graphs. And what it basically does in high leverage situations, did you exceed what your normal stats are? So there are some guys who aren't very good, but in high leverage situations were much better. And that's what makes this guy being at the top so amazing. Bryce Harper wins the award Two-way tie with Ezekiel Tovar of the Colorado Rockets. (laughs) So we know how good Bryce Harper is regularly. But in the big moments, there was nobody clutcher in 2023 than Bryce Harper. But shout out Ezekiel Tovar. Not sure how he was up there. I think you absolutely, absolutely snubbed uh, Tanner Scott here. Absolute king. Well, what are you going to do? Win probability added 4.9. Yeah. Pretty good. Also, from the pitching pers- pitching perspective, the two leaders in clutch. I don't know how like a starting pitcher can be. That's the thing. I didn't include pitchers because I don't know yeah. how you measure make clutch sense. for pitchers. Julio Arias leads in clutch, and then no, Braxton Garrett. <laughs> yeah, so Braxton Garrett, the winner of of starting pitcher clutch. Yeah, Julio Arias definitely does not lead in anything. No. Um, the No Balls Award given to the least clutch player <laughs> in no Major League balls. Baseball this year. This answer shocked me. The 2022 World Series MVP, Jeremy Pena, finished with the lowest clutch score on Fangraphs among all hitters this year. That feels super unfair. Unfair. (laughs) But high leverage situations, the entire regular season just didn't show up. That's baseball for you, right? The guy who wins the World Series MVP the next year becomes baseball's least clutch player. God, I think like if you don't play that well, which he didn't hit that well this year, right? And you're on a team that plays in a lot of like close games and stuff, like he just got screwed. He probably just unfortunately like found himself in a lot of high leverage situations and it just sucked, just wasn't that good this year. So that sucks because like, from the, the name of the award, like I do think Jeremy Pena has some stones, but unfortunately, from a clutch perspective, just didn't have it this year. This award is courtesy of Peyton, who runs big league analysis. 
the newest TikTok added to our network and is a phenomenal editor. Editor, shout out Peyton. He made a video about Ty France. So it was an ode to Peyton and an ode to Ty France. We have a new award, the Ty France Award. What does that mean? He was the first player in MLB history to get hit by 25 pitchers or more and grounded to 25 double plays in the same season. <laughs> That's crazy. He had 34 hit by pitches and grounded into 25 double plays. The weirdest year ever. So did you see that viral video of those guys that like were standing in pitching machines, like in, in, in a cage and just getting hit by fastballs, like, and they cranked it up. It was like 75, then 80, then 85, then yeah. 90. And they just kept I think getting drilled. And just I think you're talking about it. happy Gilmore. That's what you're talking about. So yeah, no, but there was literally a viral video. You did you do you not see that video on Twitter? No, I, I saw it. Yeah. So was it, there was, was it Eric it, Sim? No, it was just a bunch of random kids, like high okay. school kids or college kids that just being guys and just being dumb yeah. and wearing them and just cranking it all the way up to 90 and wearing it. But the funniest thing was somebody quote tweeted it and said, Ty France at driveline this offseason. And I thought that was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> wearing pitches. The last award, I just want to have a discussion. The Made of Glass Award. Oh. I'm giving it to Mike Trout and Jacob DeGrom. It's not a real award. It's more just a discussion because I'm very excited. In the offseason, we always do our rankings, right? Top 10 first baseman, shortstops. We rank everybody under the sun. And I'm having a discussion with some of my buddies. Jacob DeGrom is still the best pitcher in baseball, but he's not the best pitcher in baseball. Does that make sense? He is the he's the most talented, but he's not the most talented. That's that's I think what you meant. And then what do you say? Do you rank him eighth? I mean, what what is that ranking? So like, next think, year's next year's easy because you don't have to rank true. him. Like going into 24, it's hey, he's out for the year because he's recovering from Tommy John. So you can kind of let this sit for a year. I think you gotta rank him based on like what you think his output's gonna be for that coming season. So you bake try to bake injury into that i don't like projecting injury we usually say we want to avoid that but like there's certain players where you can't ignore it and you know that they're going to try to manage him so like yeah i think you got to kind of bake it in that way but yeah it's unfortunately got to be two the two most talented players in the game basically not named otani are the 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 guys that are the most unfortunately fragile at this stage is is quite unfortunate and mike trout hit around 260 this year with 18 home runs and i was speaking with my buddies and i was like mike trout had 40 home runs this year i think no, he didn't. I was so wrong. No. What do we no. do with him? Oh, that's that to be determined. That's going to be a fun one because he'll, he'll be on the field. That'll be a fun one. Um, is that it? Is that the awards? Those are the awards. Those are the I've, niche awards. I've won analytical nerd and nerd award. Uh, highest induced vertical break fastball this year. <laughs> Minimum of 100. Felix Bautista. You're not going to guess that one. Average 20.4 inches of induced vertical break on his fastball. That is obscene. Absolutely obscene. Um, and also at that velocity is just absolutely absurd. So just wanted to shout out Felix Bautista. Unfortunately, we won't have him uh, for this coming season, but he's so much fun to watch. Also, lowest release point. I'm sure you can probably guess it. Tyler Rogers releases the ball 1.1 feet off the ground. Adam yeah. Simber releases the ball 2.1 feet off the ground. 
But the lowest that isn't a submariner, how about Ryan Thompson at 3.9 feet off the ground? Yeah, but Thompson's like a weird sidewinder type thing. I'm curious, like, who the overhead person is. Who do you – I I could tell you – do you consider Paul Seawald overhead? Uh, No. Like, no. I think he's a Milner. Do you consider Hobie Milner? Hobie's definitely not. Do you consider Penn Murphy? No. No. Okay, then we're going to keep going down. Nick Sandlin? No, I think we're done here. <laughs> we're Whatever. Just, All right, then the answer is Alexis Diaz. Oh yeah, the Diaz. There we go. Diaz is the answer. Um, yeah, Peter. To answer your question, I think it goes in terms of guys. Like if you were starting your team from scratch for the 2024 season, I'm taking Otani. I'm taking Acuna. I'm taking Mookie Betts. Um, I mean, you'd take Carroll over him. I wouldn't. I yet. would. I wouldn't yet. I would take J Rod over him. J-Rod's a conversation. I mean, the defense with Trout. We'll discuss this on later shows. But that'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. Hopefully, everybody has an amazing weekend. Hopefully, you enjoyed the niche awards, the regular awards, and me screaming about Brian Cashman and the New York Yankees. It stinks that I have two co-hosts that won't let me rant. I could have done that for an hour, but it's probably good for you. We didn't let you rant? What? I thought I thought 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 we let you rant. You guys didn't even let me talk at all. We gave you a pretty long lead. <laughs> you guys don't let me ever talk about the Yankees. So then, and then you know, we also mentioned the White Sox a little bit. Uh, and it's funny, Jack didn't really have any points on his own team. But it's okay. We move on. We'll be back next week. We're still unsure. We'll be at Walker Bueller's golf tournament for his foundation um, on Sunday and Monday. So it's unclear what our podcast schedule will be like next week. But we're going to be still hammering stuff out on justbaseball.com on social media and we'll we'll still get you guys plenty of podcasts this offseason i cannot wait to keep diving into offseason content and in the meantime go check out the just baseball merch store look at arm look how sexy that man looks and look how unsexy jack looks with no just baseball merch on thanks peter And, and i'm not wearing any either so you can put me in the unsexy department be sexy get yourself some just baseball merch and all of this is brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sports books. For the three of us, that's Jack Arm, and I am Peter. And with that, thank you, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.